Welcome to this session of The Right Way to Pitch. Welcome to the Disruption Now Summit. We are honored to be joined here with uh, Jewel Burke-Solomon. I say that right? Good, uh, good. I don't, I don't, I don't want to mess up your name. Names are important. I want to thank you for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. No, you, we, we, we were honored to have you and Google to be, to be a part of this process as we continue to disrupt common narratives and constructs, and we want to give people the tools they need to succeed. Uh, so I want to tell people a little bit about you. You were the founder of PartPick, which is a which is a uh, which is a product that helped connect, I guess, people to finding uh, maintenance parts and using computer vision technology. Uh, so you did that well, way back in 2013, I believe, and uh, raised two million dollars, and then got an exit. Got 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 paid by Amazon, which is all the way. We want to give praise. That's <laughs> awesome. We love to see that. So we, I can just say that we are all collectively proud of you. We look to you as inspiration. You know, you, you now work for Google startups. Uh, you're the head of Google startups, I should say. Uh, the, not only the first African-American woman, but the first person ever to hold that position. And I also like the fact that you told them, I won't say, I don't know what you told them, but it looks this way that you said, you know, you're not, you don't want to move to San Francisco. You want to stay in Atlanta, keep your roots there, that you didn't have to be successful to you didn't you didn't need to live in San Francisco to be successful as an entrepreneur. And clearly you've been able to do that. So and also she's like kind of like a little bit of a movie star. You're in Pantene Gold Series commercial. I mean, I'm like, wow. Not a movie star. <laughs> <laughs> All right, TV star. We'll give you that. Anyway, Jewel, we appreciate you coming on. Thank you for the amazing intro. Uh, <laughs> definitely a movie, star, a movie star, but just doing what I can to help start it. I hear you. I hear you. So, you know, I want to talk about your experience at Howard um, and how that might have shaped your 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 your, your frame of thinking. Um, I, I see you've talked a lot about advising entrepreneurs, particularly Black women, and overcoming imposter syndrome. Uh, one. Do you think your experience being at HBCU kind of helped you overcome that and navigate that? And then what advice do you generally give uh, black women as they are moving up the ladder and, and seeking to overcome this narrative that's put into us by the world, put into uh, black women, I should say, by the world? Yeah, I would say going to Howard absolutely helped me overcome imposter syndrome. I grew up going to uh, majority white schools and um, you know, having instilled in me by my parents and my community the um, greatness that was within me. And, you know, even though I was often the only black student or the only, you know, one in the AP classes and all of that, um, going to Howard really, really shored up my self-confidence and my uh, knowing that within us lies a lot of excellence and a lot of greatness. Um, and when I say us, I'm talking about black people. So um, I really am always grateful to my experience at Howard for really um, putting that in me and making it so that I was able to carry that throughout, you know, the rest of life and kind of going back into a situation first. Out of my first job out of school, starting at Google, I was kind of back in the in the scenario where I was one of yeah. very few, um, and so had to really lean on what I learned at Howard to make sure that um, I was set in. Uh, knowing that I was supposed to be there and that I could compete and all of that, which was which was really instilled at Howard. So, big ups to Howard University for for that. If, if I could, when I you know I, I remember when I first walked on Howard's campus, and and even though I didn't attend Howard, I had this sense of pride just to think about 
everything that was built there, right? Everything that was built there during the time. It's not easy. I won't say it's easy to be black in America now, but certainly when that was built, it was much harder in terms of what you had to go through. And yet, and yet, you know, we still rise. They still built those amazing institutions. And there's a, I mean, there's a teaching hospital there. I mean, it's amazing what that does for your psyche to let you know, okay, people have overcome so much before me. And so I think that that's one. I have a, uh, my, my fiance was, is a Spelmanite. So I think the same thing is like in, ingrained in them. In some ways it, it, it teaches you really, it, I think it, it unlearns the thing that's been learned to you, right? So like, that's really what I say. It's how to, it takes out the poison that's been concentrated and you don't even realize it. Yeah. So like, let's let, take yourself back to that young founder. You still look extremely, you know, you could be like 18 anyway, but like, let's take yourself <laughs> back to that really young, when you were a really young founder, when you were, you know, had the ambitions of the world, I'm sure you still have some of that, but like, take your back, take yourself back when you were first starting in part pick. What advice would you give your younger self knowing what you know now? And then what advice would you ignore that you receive from others? Yeah. So the advice I would give myself is um, really, really, really dig into the problem. Uh, this is what I tell every founder. And it's actually something that I think I did pretty well, which was falling in love with the problem that I was trying to solve, not the mm. solution. Um, so follow, for follow me, your, I fall in love with the problem you're trying to solve, not the solution. With the experience of my customers and then the personal experience of my grandfather, I really, really, really thought deeply about this problem. And I thought, okay, the problem that I want to solve is I want to make it easier for people to find parts. The solution, which I came to around computer vision technology and machine learning and all this, you know, cool technology. That was the solution that I thought was correct for the time. But if I, if I wanted to solve the same problem today, I might go about it a little bit differently. But it's really the, the, the root of it was this particular problem, understanding everything about it. Why is it so hard? You know, what particular parts make it more difficult than others? We, we centered in on fasteners because they don't have a part number on them or sometimes it can get rubbed off. So that was very important. Um, so I always want to tell people, like, really understand deeply, talk to people, you know, go as deep, deep, deep as you can on the problem before you start to work on the solution. Oh, that's that, that's really great advice, because I, I think people probably think the opposite way. They start getting right to the solution before really understanding and having a perspective. And I think it's also having empathy for who your customer is what their experiences uh, actually are and what they go through versus saying, okay, I know what I'm, I know what's best. They need this solution and not actually understanding the problem because you don't understand, understand the problem. I think it's, I never heard it phrased that way, but it makes sense, right? Understanding the problem is really understanding the process, understanding uh, what the people go through, their pain points, their, their experiences and really understanding, understanding their perspective versus, versus assuming that you have the answer through your solution. Exactly. Yeah, I, never thought, I never thought about it that way. That's a you're helping me actually think about how I think about disruption now. So you're you're like you're coaching me right now. So I thank you for that. Like that's that's actually a great way of looking at it. So, um, so what what advice would you ignore? Yeah. So the advice I would ignore, I think it has to do with um, what I thought was the right way to build a tech startup, where you know it was you come up with this idea. 
you go and you try to attract people to the idea or to you as a founder by building up a team. Um, you go and raise money for it. I thought that that was the right process. And now I would interrogate that a little bit more. So, for example, raising money. There's a lot of talk about raising money. You know, we applaud when folks raise millions and millions of dollars. Um, but now that I know better, I always ask people, what's your end game? Where are you trying to get to? And if that looks like building a business that lasts for, you know, decades that you can pass on to your family, then you probably are not going to want to raise venture capital because that's not the time horizon that venture capitalists are looking for. So I, I, I really think about um, considering what is 10 years down the line look like? What does 20 years down the line look like? And working backward from there, instead of just getting on this sort of uh, pathway of raising funding, because that timeline's gonna look a little different and the potential outcomes are gonna look different. Yeah, but money's oxygen, right? So how do you balance that out between figuring out how to survive in the immediate versus the long-term need? So how, how do you balance that out? That would be my, my only question because you know you have to I hear what you're saying, but then how do you how do you how do you figure out the immediate needs too if you if you need to have capital? Yeah, so money is oxygen, but money can come from a number of different places. And we are um, the the venture capital route is the most marketed version or place where money can come from, but it's right. actually serving the smallest number of businesses. Only 1% of businesses ever get venture capital. So that means that there are lots of different other places or sources for capital that might be a better fit for your business. So if I had known that, I would have spent a lot more time pursuing things like SBIR grants, you know, government research grants because of the deep technology nature of what we were doing and the newness of it and the fact that it was so um, novel. So I would have spent a lot more time focused on grant writing and, um, you know, getting really, really good on getting free money, honestly, as we were doing the development piece, the development process, um, then even worrying about investors until we had a product in market. Yeah. So that's the difference. That's how, you know, reframing it and, and really finding capital that fits where you are as a business and where you're trying to go. Right. Um, that to me is the difference. I think what I, again, you, you're helping me formulate thoughts. So when I think about what we're doing with disruption now and our intentionality here, our goal is to um, obviously help founders and really help the black community be, be more successful. And when I, when I hear you say it, the, the way you've described it, I think the best way we do that is helping them build, a network, helping them build uh, and, and connect with the right people, get the right experience, and then make the right connections to actually build their product before ever having to worry about uh, venture capital. That's like the last step. Once you've, if you've gotten there, you, there's a lot of other things you have to overcome first, and it makes more sense to figure out how to build the network, how to build the resources before you even get to venture capital. So, I mean, I think it's a great part point. Um, but I want to ask one more founder kind of background. Then I want to move on to any uh, two more, actually. Uh, one, what is the kind of biggest failure, setback, learning lesson you had as a founder? And, and, how, and how did that set you up for success or help you just uh, become a better leader, entrepreneur, whatever, fill in the blank? Yeah, I would say the biggest lesson. Um, was the importance of relationships in all of it. Uh, every single part of business is really about relationships. And as a 
early founder, as somebody who uh, wasn't super highly networked at all, um, I did not really understand how important relationships would be in the whole journey. And there are things that I wish I had done as far as leaning on the relationships I did have to get past certain marks. So for example, uh, I recently was on the Morgan Stanley uh, podcast with Carla Harris. And I knew Carla from, she's, you know, amazing, prolific uh, woman who has just been a boss on Wall Street for, you know, the past 20 plus years. And uh, I knew Carla through, actually, I originally met her when I was a student at Howard and then was reintroduced to her when I was early in part pick pitching. Right. And um, she was someone who I really admired. And she had told me, you know, reach out to me if you have any questions or if you need anything. And I, at the time when I was uh, thinking about selling part pick, I should have reached out to Carla and said, hey, right. this is what's happening. I need your help. She, she you know, she's has a lot of experience with mergers and acquisitions. Sure. But at the time, I was nervous. I was like, oh, she's too busy, you know. Um, and that was the case for a lot of people that I probably could have reached out to to get advice and um, to understand if I was doing the right thing. But I was in my own head about it, you know, too sure. much, not wanting to bother people. But now, you know, if I had made a few more phone calls and had a few more conversations, you know, I would have had more knowledge as I approached what was, you know, a monster of a, of a, of a transaction and, you know, right. going through that whole process, mostly by myself. I wish that I would have leaned more heavily on the relationships that I had and even tried to build some new ones to be able to make it through that because going through it was was tough. It was really, really hard. And I think I could have made it a little bit easier on myself if I would have um, leaned in on, on some relationships. And so now, you know, now that I am, I had that experience, it's really shaped how I think about all the things that I do now. So, you know, I'm, I'm raising a fund. I, I have to lean heavily on relationships in order to get that done. It's a big yep. number that we're trying to get to. And what's so I'm not- what's the, what's, the, what's the name of the fund again? Collab Capital is the cool. fun. Yep. Mm -hmm. What's your goal there? We're raising $50 million. All right. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But again, I can't get there without calling the troops and calling some folks that I've been, you know, put, put a lot of deposits into the relationship. So it's not just a take and let me just call you when I need something. It's yeah. like, no, we've been building up this mutual, mutually beneficial uh, relationship over years. And so now is the time for me to say, hey, I'm doing something. I need your help. I need you to connect me with, with folks. And I think that is really how business works. And that's what you what said is so key, right? Building yeah. a relationship. Like I, I, I do think there is some uh, misunderstanding of how relationships are built, especially in the age of automation, social media. People think like, OK, if I can just send out some stuff on social media here, there, click. But. What you said is the tried and true still 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 remains. You still have to work to before you even get something, seek to add value and have a mutually dynamic relationship. It's not just about the transaction. I would say that's not even the the point of it. It's the point of building the relationship. And sometimes transactions come out of it. Sometimes it doesn't. But you have no you have no possibility if you don't build the relationship. That's right. Yeah. Um, let's one more question here. Um, the importance we, we asked this kind of survey to founders um, and we asked them what was the what, what surprised them the most. And I'm curious to see what surprised you the most about being a uh, about about a startup. Was it one 
the challenge of managing the process and the details of just running the business to the lead time it takes in converting sales or raising capital. Uh, is it three, underestimating the amount of money it takes to sustain the business? Uh, four, how much it consumes your life? Or five, the emotional roller coaster of the process? What would you say? All of that. <laughs> <laughs> All, every single thing that you listed was a, a shocker to me. But I would, I would probably say um, number five, the emotional roller coaster. I did not expect how much it would be up and down. You know, right. some days where it's like, oh my God, this is just the best thing ever. I'm so happy. Things are working. You know, we're firing on all cylinders and it's just super, you know, it's hot. Yeah. And then there are some days that are just so low. I mean, you, you're like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't think I can do this. I want to quit. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do next. I mean, but it just, it goes like this. And honestly, that could be the same day. <laughs> that's the way, <laughs> that's the way it goes. Telling? Yeah, it's, it is very much a roller coaster. I, and I think the mastery of it is figuring out how do you just be in the middle? How do you make sure that the highs are not too high and the lows are not too low so that you can keep pacing through the days? I mean, still experience it all and, and don't be numb to it, but um, not getting too hype and not getting too low, I think is, is what you have to do to be able to sustain through a long period of time. And for me, I was, I was too up and down to the point where when I, um, when I closed the deal to sell, I crashed because that the emotions, it was just so many emotions and I crashed hard when we, yeah. you know, when we sold the company. So I, I like to tell people as much as you can stay steady through it. Um, because it is, it's a lot of ups and downs. And if you tie yourself too much to the business from that perspective, then that can, that can do some damage. And, yeah. and so for me, you know, that's been therapy over, over some years to get to a point where, where I'm back, um, to, you know, my steady state, but yeah, it's tough. It's a, it's a lot right. of emotion wrapped up in, in being a entrepreneur. No, there's just no question about it. Um, when you're, when you're as an entrepreneur, you have to obviously build a team and you have to sometimes have a co-founder, usually uh, most successful ventures do yours did too. Uh, what do you think is most important with a, with a co-founder? Is it the character of the co-founder? Is it the commitment to the mission or is it the cultural fit? Like what are those, if you had to say, which one stands out the most, they're all important, but which one stands out the most to you when you're, it, it, as you, from your experience and as you look to advise others when they're building their team and building their co-founders? Yeah, character. Easy. Yep. That's the one. That is the one. The business, the mission, you know, all of that may change. But if you get somebody that doesn't, is not of high character, high integrity, that's going to be tough to overcome. That's going to be really tough to overcome. So I would say being aligned from a values perspective is probably top of the list as far as what you need to be looking for from a co-founder. Um, because you, when you say someone is your co-founder, you're really trusting them to be forward-facing as far as the business is concerned, um, to be able to step in if you're not available uh, to do something, and you want somebody that you can feel comfortable. They're presenting you, essentially. They're presenting you, your business, well. So, And also, it, I mean, I know people equate marriage. <laughs> I was, was going to say, it's like marriage. 
Yeah. Um, and honestly, it, it is quite similar. Um, <laughs> so I do think I would I would say character is so, so important as you're thinking about somebody that you can be in something with for the long haul, not just a quick, you know, we're going to do this deal real quick and you know, turn it around. But expect when you're starting your business, expect that you're going to be in it for you know, at least five to 10, maybe 10 plus years. So you really want to find people that you align with from a character's value perspective. I completely agree with that. I look at it like relationships. I look at it like a marriage. You know, once you get married to someone and you know this, you're married, everything that you, everything that might've annoyed you is exacerbated. If we're being honest, right? So that's, that's right. And then, so you have to know what are your 80, 20s? What can you live with? Do you you guys have an aligned mission and values that you're working together? Because Everything's not going to be perfect with your founder or your spouse. It's, it's not right. right. So like you have to figure out and make sure you guys have aligned values. I, I think that is key because that's something that has to, it's like a plant in the ground that doesn't move. Like you can grow branches yeah. and leaves, but th- this has to be, you know, the values that we're planted on has to be the same. If you don't have that, you know, your tree's going to fall. Right. The, the one thing I always also add, though, is the difference between a marriage and a co-founder relationship is I think a co-founder relationship should be a little bit easier to get out of if you figure out it's not working. So make sure from a legal perspective, you you have made it so that it's an exit strategy that works, that it won't be too messy, where it's very clear what happens if things don't work out. People sometimes struggle having those conversations early, but it's important because there's so many things that can go wrong. And there's so many things that you may not know until you are actually in the trenches working with somebody. So that's that's something to have a, a partnership agreement that makes it simple. Uh, and it's very outlined what happens if things do need to be dissolved. Bring up for the business. <laughs> All right. So, um, we also asked the question, we also had a survey about what, what is it that entrepreneurs do wrong often when they approach investors? So you're now an investor. Have you guys started in the, uh, investing in, in, in funds? Okay, okay. so you, you've had this experience then. So mm-hmm. is it the lack of information regarding the investor or the fund that they're pitching? Is it underestimating the amount of capital in their proposal? Is it lacking a clear vision for the business? Is it uh, resistance to constructive feedback? Or is it not asking for feedback when they are rejected? Um, you're, you're, you're saying these things and it's like, all, all are true. The E all are, all are true is, is the answer. But I think the biggest thing is, um, one, not knowing why you want to raise money or why you need to raise money. That's a big thing. Like you're having this conversation. What do you need the money for? How are you going to use it? That's, that's something that, um, a lot of people, again, they're back on, just, well, I, I think I should be raising money because that's what people do right. versus this is my business and this is why I need to raise money. So that's one thing. Um, but for, for me as an early stage investor, I'm mostly interested in why is this person the best person in the world to pursue this particular business? And so being able to convey, you know, the, what would they call a founder, uh, founder market fit, which is. Right. Why are you uniquely qualified for this particular business in this particular market? Um, and so at early stage before there's a lot of traction or, you know, before we can really get into the numbers, that's pretty much what what I'm looking for is what is it about this particular person that I want to follow them into this this business, this market? And I think that they can actually win at that. 
Got it. So I, I say that's closest to vision, really. I mean, yeah, yeah the, and that, that doesn't surprise me, given your earlier answer and understanding the problem that's kind of going to you can't have a vision without understanding the problem you're trying to solve. So that, that doesn't surprise me at all, based upon what you said earlier. Um, yeah. Can you think of a time like you think of some examples of and we don't want specifics. Right. But like just go through a, a narrative where someone got it wrong. And then someone got it right in terms of how they approached you as an investor. Um, so recently, the biggest thing that people that are approaching me now are sort of getting wrong is that um, we are not traditional investors in a sense of at Collab, we have a very different model. And it's very clear to me when someone has not done any research or, or isn't familiar with the model that we have and they're just pitching me in the same exact way that they pitch any investor. So for example, if someone, a founder comes to me and says, I'm gonna raise this seed round of $2 million and then I'm going to raise a series A of $10 million and you know this is the plan, then I'm very clear that they have not done any research on my, my specific approach and thought, thought process as it relates to fundraising. And therefore they may, there may be a mismatch. So right. with Collab, we don't necessarily think it's appropriate for businesses to um, raise lots and lots and lots of money in subsequent rounds because we think ownership is the most important thing. We want particularly black founders to be optimizing for ownership of their businesses. No, that's awesome. And, and again, okay, we're going to be, she's going to be behind taking your questions so you get a chance to have a video chat with Jewel and, and she'll be able to share some of her knowledge with you in person. So please keep the comments coming and uh, everything else. A um, couple wrap up questions as we can. So as uh, so, let's say you have a committee of three, living or dead, to advise you on business and life. Who are those three people and why? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, first person is going to be my grandfather. He passed away when I was in high school. Um, his name is William Burks, which is the same name as my dad and my little brother, um, but William Burks Jr. And he would be number one on my committee. I still feel like he's advising me even though he's not here, uh, but he built businesses um, probably about 10 to 12 different businesses wow. um, in the 50s and 60s in Mobile, Alabama. And, and Alabama, if you think about places, my family's from Alabama too. Woo. Yeah. So think about that. A black man in the 50s and 60s uh, starting businesses, everything from convenience stores to a taxi cab service wow. to a laundromat, um, you know, tailoring shop, everything. So that man, I, I just am in awe of and still read things that he's written as inspiration for the things that I'm doing now. So he would be definitely number one um, on okay. the list. Who else? I would say um, Michelle Obama. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> yes, um, I, I listened to her podcast. I read her book. Um, I had a chance to meet her a couple oh, years wow. ago. I got and back. Yeah, and and I think she's just so um, so smart and so so level-headed and just you know her approach to life and things that she's been through i think it's just so interesting so i would love to have her on my kind of personal committee and number three hmm i'm going to say warren buffett okay <laughs> because i think he has a very 
interesting approach and he, and very um he plays a long game let's say like that he does yeah so i would i would be interested to hearing his thoughts on some of the things that i think about from an investing perspective um and then you know he's he's had some some great wins and some great picks over his his yeah. lifetime so lots of wisdom there um so interesting group <laughs> yeah that, no that's a great group it's very diverse and uh it's great uh okay let's uh, what's an important truth you have that a lot of people would disagree with you on I would say the truth that I have right now that is somewhat controversial or that I'm having to convince people of is that you can make market plus returns by investing in black founders. Yep, sure can. You know, when you when you said earlier that we are just as capable, I would I would argue sometimes more because we have to overcome so much adversity. And you, like you like you know if a black person gets to a certain level at some point, you know, they, you know, they had to be really good because you know, they had to overcome the microaggressions, the racism, whatever you want to say, like they had to overcome those things and still be successful. You know, they've had that, that takes some level of grit, some level of uh, overcoming adversity. So there is a missed opportunity for not investing in black founders, you know, for, forget if, if the social, and we've talked about this a lot of my podcast, if the social responsibility doesn't get you. Okay. It should, but like it's a it's a missed economic opportunity. One thousand percent. Right. Yep. So like that's what it is. So if you don't do that, you're missing economic opportunities to make more money. So if that motivates you, which it should, focus on that then. So uh, one final question, then I'll let you go. Um, let's say you have a a Google ad. All right. So that is you know playing the Google sent you and thank you by the way for the sponsorship. If you <laughs> if you um had a Google ad. That had your saying, Jewel Burke Solomon saying, can be a motto. What would that say and why? It's just, I can do all things. There's a dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a nod to my personal faith, but the I think. Who strength is me. Yes, that's, I get yes. it. Yes, yes. Um, but I, I think about that a lot. Like, Anytime I'm thinking, oh, this is hard or this is challenging, I just remind myself I can do all things. Um, and so, yeah, that would be that would be on my my Google ad. All right, Jewel, Jewel Burke Solomon, it's a pleasure having you on. Please don't make yourself a stranger. Really appreciate you coming. Thank you so much.